Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Good to see you, Joe. It's actually uh, been a while since I've seen you in person. <laughs> it is. Even though we live in the same town, we're yeah, actually yeah, yeah. recording from uh, Brooklyn, uh, from New Brooklyn. York right now. So um, strange that that happens. I just got on the red eye uh, this morning. I flew from Salt Lake at midnight and got in at six, which actually means four in the morning for Salt Lake. Anyway, that's, so it's going to be a fun day. Yeah, those red eyes are always super convenient and always super painful. I've taken them many times. Yeah, it's fun. Enough about us. How are you doing, Zach? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Nice to uh, nice to be on your show. Yeah, yeah. It's good, great to have you. Good to have you on. Yeah. Um, for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Sure. Uh, I'm Zach Hemlin. I'm co-founder and CEO of Zing Data, and we are mobile-first analytics. So you can query any major data source in a couple seconds on your phone. Interesting. Well, let's just dive into that. Why, um, you know, we all have phones, right? Um, why, why did you choose a mobile-first approach for analytics? Why, why not just pick a desktop browser or something like that? Yeah, so actually, uh, I had been at a bunch of companies and product roles, and I observed that it was really common for people to be in a meeting with their phone and not their computer. Or it was really common for salespeople to be out in the field without their computer. And they sometimes ping on Slack, like, hey, do we have this number? Do we have this, this, this um, analysis? And what ended up happening, because BI didn't work well on a phone, was all those questions ended up getting funneled back through the data team. And as you know, at most companies, uh, that's not an infinite resource. And so really to make data broadly used through a company, you needed to put it where people were. And so we built that mm. product and we built it for like product teams and stuff like that. But what we saw was that truckers were signing up and a, uh, yeah, a, a child care center in Southeast Asia was signing up and we're like, wait, what is this sorcery? And we realized that actually there's this huge set of folks who want to use data to get their job done, but just, you know, they're not necessarily building like dashboards every day. They need a quick, easy way from wherever they are to get stuff done. And that was sort of the genesis of it. It's funny because it almost reminds me of the early days of spreadsheets, you know, back in the 80s when, what was it called? VisiCalc or whatever? Visicalc, yeah. yeah, it came out yeah. and people could buy home computers and suddenly do stuff, simple stuff with data and all these different businesses and, you know, basic accounting just kind of exploded on that platform. It was this huge hit. So I, I wonder if we could see something similar with mobile data in the future. No, in fact, I think so. Oh, sorry, that's where I used to make... Um, uh, inventory tracking with my friends for all the fireworks that we had. Wait, 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 is this in Wyoming then? No, this is when I was in Nebraska. Yeah, but no, we used to do that. We, we, uh, I don't know, we were really amazing. So, so it's like an arms dealing ring or something. Like well, we thought we had weapons, but they were just firecrackers. So anyway. <laughs> I, I, I think though, you saw, you saw that happen with email. So remember like when yeah. the iPhone came out, and it was initially, uh, you didn't see sent from iPhone that much, but then occasionally more and more, you'd see people yep. would actually go from viewing an email on their phone, but responding yeah. maybe when they were back at their computer to actually sent on my iPhone, which maybe was sort of like a, a, a brag, but also a sign that you were now able to start doing more and more and more from your phone. And what were the things that let that happen? Well, faster internet connections, LTE, 3G, and then LTE and, and, and uh, 5G. And autocorrect, personalized language dictionaries that meant that you didn't have to re-correct uh, a, a, a mistype each, each time. Um, Auto-replies now with Gmail, where you literally can, can, can pre-select responses. 
And so there were a set of things that took it from basically view mode on a phone to you actually can respond to a lot of emails on a phone. And we think data is sort of where email was, call it 10 to 15 years ago. Because if you look at the trend lines in terms of like how people actually use their phones and, and use their computers, in the US, there are a greater percentage of US adults who have a smartphone than have a laptop or desktop. Uh, it's actually 85% of US adults, uh, according to Pew Research in 2021, uh, have a smartphone. 77% uh, have a desktop or laptop. So if you think about kind of accessibility, um, more folks have a phone than a computer. And you also see that with how folks are increasingly getting work done. So 76% of Slack's weekly active users use Slack on their phone in a given week. Hmm. Think about that. And in fact, you go as a data person, you go one level deeper. You're like, well, maybe they're just reading stuff. Turns out actually more than 20% of all actions, and this was as of three years ago, so it's probably higher now. More than 20% of all actions on Slack happen from someone sending them on a phone. And so the shift, QuickBooks is more than 5 million downloads on Android alone. The shift to actually oh, wow. getting work done, yeah. So the shift to getting work done on your phone is happening. And it hadn't happened broadly in data yet. And, and we looked at that and said, that's a huge opportunity. If you've ever used Google, uh, Google Sheets on your phone or Excel on your phone, uh, it's not a great experience. No. And, <laughs> and that's, that's already got more than a billion downloads on Android alone. And so if you sort of look at that, you kind of, it, it doesn't take too much work to realize that the way people are getting work done is increasingly multi-device and that if you're limited to, hey, I can only ask this question, write this query, create this dashboard, you know, if I'm in front of my computer writing SQL or Python or R or whatever, that ends up being really, really limiting to how people work. People are on their phone more than four hours a day in the U.S. U.S. adult is on their phone north of four hours a day, growing 5% year on year. And so you look at that and you're like, well, why can't I do anything except basically viewing data? And that, that was sort of the realization that sort of now is the time um, in the same way that, you know, for email, I think that was probably 10, 10 or so years ago uh, on mobile. So, so what's different, right? Because I think a lot of the responses would be, well, that's nice, Zach. I like looking at charts on my phone too. Not really. Um, so what what are some of the use cases or, or the or I would say the, the user experiences that you envision with uh, mobile that you, you really can achieve uh, with a desktop? Yeah, I'll give a, I'll give a couple examples. Um, so one is uh, a major uh, uh, retailer um, in, in the US. Uh, they sell pizza. And they actually want to go and audit franchises and figure out if a franchise is performing as well as other franchises. And that's actually something you could create as a pre-done dashboard. But if you say, well, actually, I want to cut it by this product, or actually, I want to view it for other things that are in the state, unless all of those filters and all those things have been pre-specified in a dashboard, typically by someone at a computer on a data team, then you're kind of out of luck when you're going and, and literally doing a store visit and trying to figure out what's going on with the store and why they're maybe not performing as well. Or another example is um, we have a company in the event space. And so they literally hold in-person events. Um, we actually had a film festival use us. 
and they were looking at uh, the number of votes for different films as they're coming in. These are people literally running between different showings and they don't have a big BI or data science team, but they need something more sophisticated than a Google sheet. Um, and so they, they literally would look at votes by, by uh, movie um, and could read off results and say, okay, this one's going to the finals or this one's winning this prize from wherever they are. So we've seen it sort of be used in two ways. One is traditional companies and data teams and startups where execs or sales folks use this to monitor stuff. The other though is actually 80% of the global workforce, which is deskless. Emergence Capital has a really interesting um, paper on this. And 80% of the world's workforce is not primarily at a desk. And in fact, Joe, when you were flying, hopefully you weren't doing too much work in the on the red eye uh, or, or in transit from the airport. But if you were flying at a non-red eye time, perhaps uh, someone would ask you, you know, hey, how many of our users use this product yesterday? Or, hey, mm -hmm. this prospect that I'm going to meet with in 20 minutes, uh, how many active users do they have if I'm going into a renewal conversation? And as a salesperson, you don't always have someone on the BI or data team to have pre-created that for you. So we basically built this really easy to use kind of mobile interface that that lets you get to that, that answer without it being pre-created. And it turns out that that's this huge swath of folks that usually we don't think about when we talk about data teams or even traditional data consumers because they're folks who are fixing your utility lines and they're folks who are driving trucks in, in the logistics supply chain. And their mm. alternative is to call someone, yeah. call someone and ask them for a number. Um, an example that came up recently was someone checked it, wanted to check into a hotel early. And the manager was walking around the lobby and the guy asked the manager, hey, can I check in? And the manager says, oh no, you can't do early check-in. We don't have any rooms. Person walks up to the front desk. Then they say, hey, can you just can you just double check? Are there any rooms? And the person double checks and says, oh, I just refreshed the data. Yes, there's actually a room that just opened up. And so this person was able to check in, but right now they had to go through multiple people. Someone had to mm -hmm. be at a computer to get them that information. And if you imagine what the optimal experience is, it's you go up to the manager who's walking around the lobby and say, can I check in early? And he says, let me check. Yes, you can. Uh, room 27A, go to check in and, and, and they'll get you set up. And so these are like data use cases in the field that you probably don't think about if you're thinking about like product manager, engineer, data scientist, salesperson um, in a, a, as structured a way as, as most folks do. Let's get a bit technically nerdy for a second here. So a couple of months ago, we had a Jordan Tagani on our show. Um, he's, he's working on a product called Mother Duck right now, which is DuckDB um, using Wasm yep. in, the, in the browser. Are you guys taking a similar approach? Of, have you considered a similar approach of having like an on-device uh, on uh, OLAP database, which would uh, basically allow you to return um, results very quickly and crunch numbers on the device? Yeah, so, so on-device on works really well for small data sets. So uh -huh. um, the... The types of use cases that we've seen, at least initially, are actually bigger data sets than you might expect. So uh, if you want to know, let's say, sales by day, well, that data actually comes streaming in maybe even by hour, depending on how you set up your, your data transfers and all that stuff. And so we think that there'll probably be areas we offer that in the future 
but we haven't done this sort of purely on device querying. Rather, we've said, we're going to do a ton of optimizations and we, we can talk about them if you want, but we've done a ton of stuff to actually make a thing work well on mobile. And an example, two quick examples of that are, you don't have a persistent internet connection when you're on a phone necessarily. Mm -hmm. You could go through a tunnel. Uh, you could be in airplane mode. Um, and to make that work well, you actually don't want the client to query the server. You want the client to persist a connection to a server, which will persist a connection to the database. And the server and database will run that query. You cache a result. And then you send that cached result to the client when it is online. And so we do that. We send a push notification. We background load the cached result. So it sort of just works. But if you didn't do that, what you'd have is you run a query. Maybe you go through a tunnel or you just have a congested mobile network. And the query will fail. And you're like, okay, this doesn't work. Data doesn't work on mobile. And in fact, I, in a previous life, tried to write uh, SQL queries in a web interface on my phone uh, just to just to like get some work done. I know. It was, it was not the most uh, efficient way of doing it. Oh, no, no. oh, my gosh. This is harder than just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> But it was you. You could tell I, I, I was really into mobile data before it was a thing. Right. This is a quick aside. Imagine when, when the iPhone first came out. One of my friends wrote an entire blog post on the iPhone, and it was such a novel thing. He's like, "I am writing a blog post on my iPhone one, um, <laughs> right?" Because it, it, it's, it's sort of ridiculous. Like, why would you do such a thing as that? This was back in back in the day. So yeah. anyway, carry on. Remember people doing that? With no, but now you can. Before there were keyboards, and they would like type. They would do all their writing on an iPad. And you're like, why? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think now, and I, I think this is actually a great, great uh, example because now you actually could, dictation's not amazing, but it's gotten enough better where you could actually draft thoughts uh, or you could kind of get the basics of a blog post down. Maybe you'll refine it later. Maybe that's not the version you share out to the whole internet, um, but you could actually kind of get your thoughts down quickly, uh, maybe just through dictation right now. Um, and so... I think a lot of it comes down to how the technology matures to make it work better and make it more usable. And we think that's kind of where there's this interesting inflection point where if you think through what the mobile experience is first, and I think Robinhood did a good job of this. Um, I think uh, Canva, the design tool, they've done a good job of this. And basically they said, what is a good experience to trade stocks on a phone? They didn't say, hey, let's take what's on web and kind of smush it down. And I think that's actually a pretty key part of how you build a better interface. Because, for instance, if I run a query, and as I did when I was trying to write SQL in a browser window on my phone many, many moons ago, it would just time out or it would give me a result set that was like a billion rows. Both of those are bad. And so then the question is like, well, what do you do to handle that? Natural question, like limit 10, limit 100. But then you're actually getting a result set that's, that's pretty bad because you actually don't necessarily just want 10 rows. You actually want the biggest contributors. You actually want a windowing function, probably, or a ranking function in the background based on the biggest contributors to the thing you care about. Yeah. So a fancy data scientist who maybe reads the best-selling uh, book about data engineering might have that level of familiarity. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but most folks don't. And so we actually automatically apply windowing functions for large result sets where Ooh, there's more okay. stuff to display on your phone than would make sense to do. 
And then we say, oh, by the way, we limited results. Click here if you want to see everything. Okay, that's awesome. So that's like one small example of optimizing the experience to make well, it work. I've got some good comments here too. Like uh, uh, Kosh Lendra says, mm -hmm. you know, I guess it might work for some predefined and more frequently used queries. I would love to see the com this combined with natural language analytics to have a voice-enabled analytics system. I think the more broader point to this question, which I think excites me about the mobile device, is the fact that the mobile device has a lot of mobile native things like sensors and a camera, GPS. for example, right? GPS, imagine what you can do now with analytics where you're not just related, you know, the, the whole world of possibilities opens up where I, I think you're, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like, as you say, email or just the phone in general as an interface, like it, it just opened up a whole new world of possibilities and how to interact with the world. Totally. Um, Even screen so. sharing. So with your phone, you can do, you can, uh, with a, you can Chromecast if, or use Apple TV. And so you think about like, hey, I have a graph here. What is a way that this should look on a screen that's larger? Uh, what can I do? Let's say I'm searching for nearby locations uh, or searching for something in a certain radius. Well, I could precede that query with my latitude and longitude if a user gives yep. permission. So uh, we don't support that uh, GPS enabled thing today, but you, that's along the lines of how we're thinking about what the right experience is. Yeah, and the possibilities are endless, yeah. frankly. It's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool. Like back in the day, I, I got the, an Apple watch because I was nerding out on the accelerometer for um, weightlifting to see like if I could detect like a perfect lift. Um, it's actually a really hard problem to solve. Um, but, Did you but, do that with like a Wii or something? Probably better with a Wii, actually. Yeah, now that I think about it. But but the whole notion was okay. I could I could I could probably figure out analytics just yeah. using um, a lot of the sensors on board the uh, the watch or the, the phone, for example, right? Like again, the, the, you have so you can collect so many more data points than you could just off a, a laptop. So totally. Now yeah. the question that came up about voice specifically is an interface natural language. So. Um, I, I shipped Facebook's first work in speech recognition, um, actually many, many moons ago. And the challenge with voice when it comes to querying, and you see this with Alexa or Google Assistant or Siri, is there's two challenges around how you interact. One is knowing what you can ask. And then the second is one of disambiguation. So a challenge with saying, I won't even say it because they who shall not be named but have speakers and microphones will probably respond and mess up the mess up the podcast but if you say hey insert name here give me revenue by quarter well there's a disambiguation problem with revenue is it net revenue is it gross revenue is it revenue underscore with underscore tax and so you can ask a user via voice do you want revenue underscore with tax revenue underscore gross right but if you've ever uh, uh, gone through an interactive voice response system where you're like pressing one for this or replying yes or no, it can become pretty tree. frustrating. Yeah, right, it's exactly. Cool it's tree. a fancy yeah. phone tree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and so that disambiguation part can be hard. And so actually that's not where we, we didn't start with NLP because mm -hmm. we think there's a lot of challenges around we're, the best word error rates. If you look at like Google's uh, uh, benchmarks, they're in the mid nineties basically. And that's on domains that you know. But if you're literally using like terms in a database that are arbitrary and have underscores and all this sort of weird abbreviations, it's probably quite a bit lower. So does the user know what they can ask? And then is it kind of easy enough to use with all the disambiguation and all that stuff? 
And so like, we think it's going to get there and we're doing some, some work on that ourselves, but we actually don't think that that's the sort of killer use case today, mm. just because it's actually a little bit more confusing than saying, oh, right. I want, you know, gross revenue by year. Boom. And it's, that's two tabs with, with us. That's like two tabs. Okay. I'm going to stop showing. <laughs> oh, it's fine. No, it's, it's a, it's a good use case. Um, so are there any other like kind of killer uh, things today that is on your mind? With respect to mobile yeah. I think a really interesting area that when you put an interface and, and we, by as context, we support iOS, Android. We also support the web. Because our view is that you kind of need to work everywhere. So you used to work at Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you ran an experiment only on mobile or you ran an experiment only uh, on web, you actually wouldn't capture the full network effects. And that basically is knowing that if I send you a message, you could reply quickly on whether you're on web or on your phone. And everybody in the experiment and we did some pretty fancy experimental designs where we would select similar lookalike groups, but make sure there was very highly network density within a group we were turning it on to. So maybe I want to test uh, a group of 100,000 people who are tightly connected, and I turn on the feature for that 100,000 people. And then I try to find a lookalike other 100,000 people with overall similar attributes, but who are not deeply connected to this, this test group. And so when you did all these fancy experiments, um, you'd find what is pretty common sense, which is if it's hard for someone to reply because they can only reply on a computer, you're going to get fewer replies. And turns out the feature is going to test less well um, because people are, are not able to, to kind of respond quickly when you at mention them. And so by opening up this sort of mobile uh, uh, mechanism to, to interact with folks, you actually can better realize the network effects. Because if I tag you, so we have like this collaboration layer. If I tag you, Joe, uh, and say, hey, can you take a look at this? Do you know if there was a data outage Wednesday of last week because I see a dip in the numbers? If you have to be back at your computer to answer that question, mm -hmm. I'm gonna think that like this system doesn't work very well and people aren't very responsive and it's kind of a ghost town. Um, and I don't get answers to my questions. But if you can reply within you know, 10 minutes, because you get a notification and it's on your phone and you can reply in line and be like, yeah, Wednesday we had an outage. I would exclude that. Great. Now this whole system works a lot better and I'm much more likely to, to keep using it and, and um, kind of be a, a sticky user, if you will. So that's one of the things that a sort of available everywhere um, layer opens up that web only or even mobile only wouldn't wouldn't allow and I, i'd seen that from facebook and linkedin but that was kind of one of the things we thought about when we were when we were building say this is cool i mean what i think i'm hearing is that instead of just trying to take the desktop data experience to mobile you're really looking for new things that can happen on mobile that maybe people aren't doing right now like more dynamic interactions and such um, let me ask you a fairly open-ended question, which you've you've started to answer a bit, but maybe maybe you can give me a bigger sort of theory of how this works. I, I feel like the big transition to like successful smartphones away from like the early smartphones that no one really used was UI and UX, right? It was all about like user interface and user experience. And so you've told uh -huh. us a bit about like how you think about user interface, but you sort of have a grand unified theory of say user experience for data and how to solve those problems. Because I think that fundamentally is the really hard problem, right? Like getting 
data to, to be something you can interact with on a phone, not through SQL and not through really awkward controls. That's, that's tough. But in a way, yeah. I feel seamless. Too. Right, I, guess right. I, feel forced. Yeah. I think I've yeah. seen some other analytics companies that won't be named basically porting their experience onto the yeah. mobile device. And it's just, it's just like a crappy version of their web interface. Um, you know, I mean, I'd rather go use a web interface. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I, it's a limitation of possibility. It's just not seeing the art of the possible, right? Like you're using a device, which is like the, the, the phone, the, the, the iPhone or the Android. I mean, this is a, this is a it's a work of art. You can There's pinch, so you can do. pinch to zoom. You could do yeah. these interactions. I don't need to have a plus button and a minus button. You can do well, here's the deal too. The test you do is that you get kids, right, to go on a laptop. The first thing they do is they touch the screen. At least my kids do, right? <laughs> That's the experience they're used to. And, and you're, so you're designing not only for you know the possibilities of, of today's devices, but also for the future generation that grew up on. They didn't grow up on laptops. And if you're talking right. about the developing world, um, people don't have computers there. They have phones. Yep. They sort of leapfrog yep. the entire um, you know desktop and laptop um, world. So. Yeah, we actually, we have a, a company in uh, Argentina. This guy runs a series of uh, retail channels, like a, they sell houseware goods. And they're not a big name. You probably have never heard them. I hadn't either. Uh, about 10, 10 stores. And this guy, he's only logged in from his Android device. And he literally added a Postgres database as a data source. And he checks each store's sales by day and inventory and stuff like that as he's running around checking on various stores. And I think that's probably a, a different usage pattern than mm -hmm. if you went to traditional BI vendors. Most of them, you actually can't even add a data source from your phone. And this guy literally right. is running his whole business from his phone. And so I think when you go a, a notch or two outside of like the traditional, um, what we think of as, as, as kind of primary data users, you find that there's actually this huge <laughs> number of folks who, if you make it easy, if you make it work well, actually are very interested in this thing. And I think Matt, to your point, um, it very much comes down to how you do it and how you do it right. So I was looking at a step-by-step -step guide for a BI tool that shall not be named. Um, and wasn't us though, uh, an established large player. And it was literally seven steps of building a custom mobile friendly variant of an existing dashboard and how you would test it on different screens and reflow all this stuff and do all that manually. And it, I went through all those steps and it's basically hours of work to make a thing look good on a phone. One, one dashboard. Oh, and then you have a clone of that dashboard. So yeah, change something here and it doesn't propagate. So you have to redesign it again. And well, that just seems... It's a lot of work. I mean, we, we yeah. get a lot of embedded analytics use cases and you're in iframe hell at that point. Um, yep. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, 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 I do appreciate the, the efforts, um, but it is a lot of effort and you do have to appreciate that effort. And yeah. so, yeah. But when, yeah, you go through, when you guys are, when you guys are doing an embedded kind of analytics use case, how do you think about, okay, I need to go check this in an iframe or I need to go resize this stuff. Like, how do you think about that? Or like, what's your flow? You mean as a user or as somebody? Uh, as someone it? who's building this, yeah. I just think it feels like a lot of work. I'm like, it, it's, it's cast to be easier, <laughs> right? I, I try to get other people to do that stuff in all seriousness. Yeah. <laughs> I try to delegate that part because I'm not a UI guy, right? Right, and then you yeah, give yeah. it to it. But then you give it yeah. to a developer, right? right and say, right. oh, add in this iframe. And they're just like, can you go away? Like, I got <laughs> yeah. like, a lot of tickets to get to. <laughs> knocked out. So, 
And that's the other disconnect is it feels like data and dev you know, developers are sort of a, there's a dichotomy there. And if you give them the work, it's like, you know, front end dev, for example, right now, they try, you know, or a mobile uh, dev, you try and get them to build an analytics uh, dashboard. It's just, it, they don't understand. Or right? you, you understand. build it once with D3 and it looks really cool. And you've built it like this very, very specific way for this one very, very specific graph or question. And then right. someone says, oh, actually, we want to filter to do this. Or we want to be able to zoom in, zoom in, or we want it to uh, work well on big screens and small screens and dynamically reflow. And like, is all that technically doable? Yes, it is. How many companies are going to put the time in to build that from scratch with you know D3 or native libraries and all that? Very, very few and very, very few should. Um, and so if you think, we look at like Figma uh, on the design side. They basically said, what is a thing that used to require like Adobe Illustrator, Adobe mm -hmm. Photoshop or Sketch? Like it was kind of a single player thing. And how do you make it like you can start for free and you can use it without being a hardcore designer? And then, oh, by the way, you actually can look at what your colleagues have done because you see like all the shared all the shared context. So you can piggyback off of what the designer on your team did. And like maybe you start tweaking it kind of like a lot of folks learn SQL. Maybe they modify someone's SQL and then yeah. they're like, oh, this is how it works. And you learn that way. Um, and so we think there's this whole element that is for data as a whole, somewhat nascent aside from like hardcore, like machine learning models and checking in your code to GitHub and stuff of like shared questions and shared understanding, the sort of collaboration layer around data that I think is going to become much more exciting over the next couple of years where it's not just I do analysis, I put it in a presentation, but rather that is like a live analysis that everybody's weighing in on. Um, and so I think that's gonna be, we're gonna get to see this like shift from single player to multiplayer. It happened for docs, right? Microsoft Word to Google Docs, happened for design, Illustrator, Balsamic, Sketch to Figma. And I think it's starting to happen with that. A lot of tools out there have some basic collaboration functionality, but then it goes back to that network effects thing of, can you access it from wherever you are? Is it easy and fast? And, and hopefully we'll find a, a smart way to. Well, and, and there's some tools that do this. Like Domo has done this yep. for a bit where they think they have a decent mobile experience and they have social mm -hmm. stuff. But I think the challenge with them is it's also very monolithic where it's mm -hmm. like, if you, if you get Domo, it's kind of like you get the whole shebang. You're storing your data there. It's a big upfront. Yeah. Basically we, we have a free tier and all that stuff. I won't talk too much about where to be, but the basic idea is, much like Google Docs, much like Google Slides, we think it should be easy to, to get started and use because yeah. a big company where they know they need demo or they know they need something, um, great. And, and there's a lot of good solutions out there. We think that that pushes out a lot of folks who could get value from it, but don't necessarily have that level of um, budget or, or uh, willingness to take on kind of a big project up front. And so, you know, if you want to add just a Google Sheet, and use the thing for free, we think that's awesome. And we have students who do that. And we think that's a cool way to kind of get accustomed to this um, without necessarily needing to take on the upfront, okay, I have a data warehouse. Okay, I have a semantic layer. Okay, I've like done all this user permission, all that stuff up front, um, which which can feel kind of daunting to a lot of, a lot of smaller companies. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, the key to building a really good product, I, I think I'm probably paraphrasing someone here, but basically just give people something they find super useful, right? 
like don't don't tell them hey this is the future you have to use this like a certain virtual reality company that we're all aware of right now that's trying to like shoehorn people into a new experience oh yeah my kids use that certain device too and they're like this is stupid like what do i what do i what do i do with this um so do you have one here is pretty cool though Beat is pretty cool yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool that's the one i yeah. play too. Yeah. yeah super hot's pretty cool yeah, yeah. um but you know it, it's uh, when, when's it when's the vr edition of zing coming out <laughs> uh, I think we'll we'll give a little bit more time for the ecosystem to evolve. We're we're, we're data driven folks, and we'll we see you in about uh, twenty years then. Um, yeah, yeah. So, kind of along the lines of small companies, you know, let's talk about uh, another thread you wanted to discuss, or we want to discuss with you is, um, you know, doing data and analytics at, at startups and small companies versus um, big companies. What's what's the difference? Yeah, so uh, 10 seconds of context. Um, I had uh, uh, run product at a company called OneSignal. They power a bunch of like push notifications, 10 billion a day. So they have a ton of data, like a ton of data. And in fact, actually, when you have that much data, you have to start asking questions like, should we, do we want to store all this? What's the right uh, time period for us to hold it before we push stuff out? What are the right aggregation layers? Because otherwise, if you're storing 10 billion things a day for a lot of days, that's, that that can become unwieldy. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn can store that stuff. And I worked, worked at both those places in product too, and realized that the startup data stack needed to be way simpler and uh, way more minimalist than what we had at like LinkedIn or Facebook. So LinkedIn, as you, as you know, you know, have Kafka and Pino and all this stuff for basically high volume, real time data and queues and all this sort of stuff. Um, and the fact is that that would have been overkill for a lot of the yep. use cases at a 50, 100 person startup of we need to know how many users use this thing. We need to know which users who signed up, haven't gotten to, and we define different points of success, right? So if they hadn't sent a push notification or hadn't invited their coworkers, that was like a greater risk of them churning. Maybe there were actions we want to take. So our stack was pretty simple. We started out with, basically a Postgres database that was production that we would query against uh, that you would log into. And if you ran a long running query, production would not work the way it was supposed to. That's the way to do uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then I think along the journey, we got a little bit more sophisticated. So we said, okay, well, what's a replica of a subset of that that makes sense. And we did that. And then we said, okay, well, what are the things, what are the questions that are really common? So, how much stuff is sent, how many users do X, that type of stuff. And then we created Airflow jobs uh, that would run daily um, in most cases. And basically got, got these aggregates and rollups that made more sense. And that started to look a little bit more structured because you could go to a table that said, you know, user actions or something like that and query it without needing to deal with converting weird timestamps and casting them in weird ways. We took all, we took care of that in these airflow jobs. And then on top of it, we had um, kind of a, a technical layer for notebooks. So we used uh, Jupyter. Um, there's other things out there like um, DeepNode and others that, that kind of hex and stuff. Um, and then we had kind of a, a lightweight BI layer. Um, and that was sort of for everybody else. And so it was actually in, in that process of building this out where we built this nice data infrastructure, not perfect, not amazing, but like good enough. And it like transformed the way people thought about making decisions. So salespeople would say, hey, I'm going into this renewal conversation. 
I want to know how much this user does X. So I'm better equipped. Or engineering would see, hey, we have these bugs. We have some logs. Do we have uh, a count on how many users this would impact? So how many people use this feature in the last week to figure out if this is a thing we should prioritize or not prioritize? And so if you took data and made it really easily accessible, um, you actually got, I don't know, we probably had 80, 90% of the company at the very least asking data questions. Next challenge is we had one person who actually was staffed on answering them. And then you realize like, okay, we need to find easier ways. Not everybody's going to write SQL. Not everybody's going to you know, use a Jupyter notebook. Um, and, and going back to kind of Matt, your idea around kind of design principles. Um, one of the big design principles I took away from that and from, from Facebook and LinkedIn was you just need to make stuff like really easy. So if we think about my background was in statistics. Um, and if we think about statistics, like most people, even who know the value of data, probably don't recall the exact formula for uh, how to deal with ranked uh, information or how to uh, do a Cox, Wilson, Wilcox. I I'm even forgetting the names now. Um, and so you think about all these things that like take um, a lot of focus and understanding and say, well, what if we could actually automatically color code statistical significance? What if we could automatically let you know when there's a meaningful change without you having to define standard deviations and airflow jobs and all that stuff to make it work? And we actually just did all that for you. And if you want, you can click in and see the p-values and all the all the stuff behind it. But how do we take what a smart data scientist would do and make that sort of just work for the easy 80% of stuff? Again, this isn't going to solve like machine learning. This isn't going to solve like, hey, I need to rank your news feed. You're not going to do that on your phone. But we think that there's this huge realm of stuff where if you give people simple tools, um, it actually dramatically opens up the realm of what's possible. And that's sort of the design principle, Matt. How do you make the simple stuff simple, which is kind of how we think about it? A couple taps, as little friction as it needs to be, and then kind of offer progressive disclosure if someone wants to go, uh, go deeper. We've seen, we, we, we talk to a ton of uh, companies in the data space. Um, they come to us for, um, you know, our feedback on product advice, for example. Um, and, and I think overwhelmingly what we've seen with successful data products is they're simple to use. There shouldn't be a revelation, but it's amazing how often people want to show off how smart they are or um, I don't know why interfaces are complicated or onboarding is complicated or whatever, but um, eliminate complication, like know the customer. I think the main thing is just know the user, right? So if you've done this work too, as an analyst, you kind of know what worked and what didn't, right? And I think you, can, you have a lot of built-in empathy for, for the user. Um, and again, if you just made it simple for yourself, like if you look at Zach back in the day, like what would yep. you have used? I mean, that's as good of a litmus test as any. So thanks for talking about simplicity. I don't think it gets talked about enough, frankly, but again, the most successful products I've seen in the space, they're dead simple. You don't need yeah. to, you don't need to like pitch what it is just like, I don't know. You can get you can get the answers you want real quickly. What what do you want to know? It's like start using it. Yeah, and I, I think so. there's a lot of hero worship around the whole startup tech space. Like everyone who starts a startup is like, oh, I'm going to build my own awesome data stack for the back end. But that really should be simple as well. People look at Google and Facebook and like, oh, look at all this amazing stuff that they built. And it's like, yeah, but back when Google did it, did it, it didn't exist. For now, they built it for and, themselves. Yeah, and their yeah. needs were so so complex relative right. to what was really available out there. Right. Like yeah. today, most folks, if they're 
on BigQuery or if they're on Snowflake, that actually yep. is a pretty quick, pretty easy way. Or maybe you run Postgres or you run a flavor of Postgres that automatically lets you scale up better. Like there's a lot of good stuff out there. And so you don't necessarily need to start from scratch in the way that Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, who also, by the way, had huge, budget, huge budgets and, and yep. uh, oh. massive advertising empires. But, but even uh, Big, BigQuery, though, when we talked to Jordan Tagani on our show, he, you know, he mentioned that he actually called it EasyQuery, not BigQuery, because most people weren't querying a lot of data with BigQuery is what he found out. That's why he's doing MotherDuck. It's like the data sizes most people are querying are actually pretty, uh, pretty minuscule. But what BigQuery really was is actually easy query. You just mm -hmm. give it data and you can query it, and that's it. And so, which is like, frankly, most most people don't want to have to think about like replicas and spinning up new no, servers. Who wants to do like, that? Engineers want to think about that. Are you an engineer? <laughs> uh, I write very poor code, but uh, right. <laughs> and most people just don't we, want to, most people, most people. My CTO is far smarter on that stuff. Right, but that's a CTO, right? And he's he's solid. And the thing is, like, that's a, that's the skill set. But for the analysts, that's like most would, would not know how distributed computing works or clustering works. It'd be like, I don't know what that is. Like, when why should I? I just want to get answers. Yep. So, and and frankly, most companies, like, if you're below at, I, if you're sub a couple hundred people, unless it's like super core to your product, you probably shouldn't be doing anything that's too one off from a data perspective. Agree, agree, agree. Um, you don't need to, I mean, like Facebook literally had some in-house built and LinkedIn had in-house built A-B testing tools. They were super cool. They literally could show you for any experiment you ran across any platform, statistical significance and distributions and all that stuff for hundreds of variables. How does running this experiment impact revenue, posts per day, uh, number of ads that are in position one versus 10? Like, Huge range of stuff, super cool. There were whole teams that built that infrastructure and maintained that mm -hmm. infrastructure for a single like one of 10 or one of 20 tools. And that just doesn't make sense for, for most companies. And so the way I would think about it is, is this a thing that's like critical to the business? If you're an ads team at a big company and you can squeeze out a, you know, another 0.1% uh, revenue or even 1% 1, 1 would be huge. That's totally worth staffing up a big team around. Yeah, but 0.1% if you're a startup, um, there's there's much better ways to spend that time and money than something that's bespoke or even something that's that's sort of off the shelf, but very hard to maintain and configure. No, startups are classically the 80-20 rule, right? Like you don't have a lot of resources. Focus on 20% that's going to give you 80% of the results and just leave it at that for now. Like your job is basically to to like survive. <laughs> Right. You, know. you can, you can figure out like the perfect thing later. You need to get to like the good or adequate thing fast. Yep. And, you know, we saw that we basically, when we, we were building the app for the first time, we said, okay, well, like, do we build a native iOS app, native Android app, a native web app? And we said, well, actually like, let's validate this idea. Let's get a thing out there. Um, so me and my co-founder just started writing code and uh, did it in Flutter. So we got it so that it would work on iOS, Android, and web, all basically with one code base. Now, was it as optimized for each platform as if we built it natively? No, but it actually let us start validating and learning much faster. And that's basically the right thing to do for most startups when it comes to oh, their- Oh, for sure. Their, their was app. anybody asking you for a native iOS app, right? And like, even if they did, <laughs> would they have cared? That wasn't the- 
that wasn't like the core, the like milliseconds of performance you could shave. It just wasn't, that wasn't the innovation that we were bringing to market. So right. it wasn't the, the place to spend the time. I will say though, one interesting example, when I was at Facebook, we had um, uh, video was becoming a bigger part of newsfeed. And so one thing that used to be hard where Facebook actually spent a bunch of time on this was scroll performance. There were a number of engineers just focused on how do you have video here, video here, video here that are a infinite scroll where there's some stuff you want to do. Like you want to start prefetching the videos below so that they're already playing by the time they're in your viewport. And so that was a thing where if you were Facebook and you wanted to make video really big and you wanted to sell video ads and you wanted advertisers to buy video ads and have them work well, um, and publishers have good performance with video and all that stuff. You needed to really optimize that um, because if that was inefficiently loaded and stuff at Facebook scale, that 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 uh, can be pretty expensive or a pretty bad experience. And the expectations are just way higher for what kind of a fine-tuned experience is on you know a major major app uh, versus versus a startup. So that was an example of like they took a lot of time, put a bunch of money on scroll performance for video. And I and and did a good job at like getting much better at that, but that that would be like the wrong optimization for for most companies. Yeah, yeah. Every every part of the startup stack needs to be as simple as possible. Meaning, just just make it work at a basic level so people. Yeah, and if yeah. someone else comes in or someone yeah. new joins the team, do they like? have clear, understandable documentation of a thing that's broadly used? Yes. Or are they trying to figure out like what this intern who just, who wrote it from scratch, who uh, is back at school right now did uh, and trying to debug that? Because you can- I mean, to be fair, it's usually the latter, but- um... <laughs> <laughs> But it was a good intern. It, was, it, was, uh... <laughs> it worked, it worked when they were here as an intern, so. <laughs> that's really cool. So, I mean, kind of zooming out, like what, what excites you about the data space right now? You, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a smart enough guy. I mean, you have a lot of options. Why, why, why do you want to you know, play around in this space? I think there's a renaissance. I think there's a renaissance happening right now where, um, you know, when the, when the uh, availability to connect systems, it's still, it's still more of a pain than it should be. Uh, but you can, we're pumping amplitude data into BigQuery and we can like literally ask any question of our amplitude data from a phone. That's cool. So what I'll do is I'll like pull the refresh and I'll say like, how many users did this in the last hour? And as like a founder, that's like a, that's a really cool thing. I, I could be talking to an investor. I could be talking to someone and say, oh, look, in the last hour, this many actions happened or this many people did this. And what that means if you're in logistics or supply chain or whatever is what used to be a phone call or what used to be like a purpose-built app that was super rigid and built by some external agency and never got updated and ended up being pretty buggy, that stuff can all basically happen in real time. You add a new field and it's immediately available. Or you want to federate data from something via Fivetran, you can do that really easily. And so... I think there's a couple macro things. One is the easier stuff is going to get easier. We're part yeah. of that, but so, so too are a bunch of other companies. Um, 
stuff is going to get way more collaborative. And so the idea of a person asks a data analyst a question, they go do some work, they come back after they've gone through their queue and say, hey, here's a dashboard, or they put it in the slide. That's going to go to, I think, a much more continuous, almost like Google Docs type, type uh, interaction or Slack type interaction. And then I think the third macro trend is it's just going to become more ubiquitous. So what right now is a thing that you sign into a VPN and then run a query and it takes a while to run uh, and sometimes it fails. Um, I think that's going to end up uh, working on a lot more devices in a way that makes more sense for each different type of device. So what does that look like in the future on a voice interface? What does that look like on a TV screen? Uh, how does that scale to sort of the different use cases that, that come up? And I, I think it's an exciting time and place because what used to be, like when I started working on stuff in data, it was we were in like MATLAB and like you were calculating like all this stuff. You want a histogram, you're like figuring out how do we cast this stuff in the right way into an array and deal with all that and bucket it. And now that's you know, a, a thing that you can, you can just say, Hey, here's my data set. I want this, I want this distribution. Um, we think that's going to happen more and more, even for things like anomaly detection, statistical significance that, mm. that right now some companies are working in, but, but haven't quite, I'd say entered like the mainstream. And basically any company that's, that's not able to do this stuff. Um, I think it's going to be at a disadvantage. If you, It's kind of like, computing uh, or email or having a website uh, was a thing where like, there came a point where like, eventually like, you know, your contractor for a house has an email address. Um, you know, your plumber has a website and the, you could book online, right? Those, those changes that happen that were kind of step changes and how efficient we can be, I think are starting to happen in the data space. We're still, I would say early innings for most companies that are, you know, small businesses, for most companies that are, uh, uh, don't have a data warehouse, but, but I think it's going to happen. And we're seeing, we see signs of that when a childcare center in Southeast Asia is building stuff. So a nanny could literally track is a kid progressing as they're supposed to over time. That's like, that's crazy. That's super cool. That's a nanny who doesn't have a computer being better at her job because she actually has data out in the field. And, and I think that's going to kind of transform a lot of industries. That's interesting. Like one of the things I noticed with, with smaller businesses too, like trying to convince them that the need of analytics is uh, often an uphill battle. Um, so it's like, you know, like, Oh, it's all up here. Like I don't need <laughs> reports. Um, how do you, how, how do you, um, how do you work with small businesses to, to show them the art of the possible when it comes to analytics? Yeah, I think it goes back to kind of what we were talking about before, make it super simple. So we initially had like, we had an integration for Postgres, we had an integration for BigQuery. And they were like, okay, uh, what about everybody who hasn't set that up yet? And doesn't even necessarily know that they should, but like we have this, this company in uh, Southeast Asia um, and they deliver um, uh, like surplus goods to people. And they store all their stuff in an Excel sheet. <laughs> and they were like, hey, our Excel sheet is getting too big. And we have different versions of it floating around. And it's hard to deal with an Excel sheet on your phone. We saw what you're doing. Like, 
can you help? Mm, and so the entry point there is actually not someone who's like, does this integrate with my like service account for BigQuery or does this work with Trino? It's actually, hey, I have a Google Sheet or I have a CSV and I can tell that like I'm outgrowing that. What's an easy next step? And so we, it was, that's the reason we actually built like a Google Sheets connector. We don't think that that's like the way to get the most value out of the product. We don't think that that's like the ideal state for most companies, but it means that in, I don't know, five minutes, you can put in dummy data or you can take some data set, World Bank data or census data, whatever it is. And you can be like, oh, huh, this actually is not scary. Um, in the same way that maybe someone for the first time um, when they try Canva for design is like, oh, actually, Maybe I don't need a designer to design my social media post. I can do this on my own and it takes me a couple minutes. And it sort of opens up this realm of possibility for small businesses. And I think that's where like, if you can let someone authenticate in using their existing credentials and not need to do a ton of stuff, um, those are, or give templates. Those are all ways that you kind of decrease friction. Um, when I was at Facebook, one thing we did, we were trying to grow small businesses running video ads. And creating video ads can be a pain, right? You're like editing. I don't know if you've ever spent too much time in Premiere or Final Cut Pro or even iMovie. Um, if you want to like waste a whole day trying to like produce an adequate video, like it's a great way to, great way to do it. Um, and what we did was we said, who has posted stuff to a page? So like a company page. And we basically put the posts that got a lot of likes and stuff together. We stitched them together with like a little bit of music. We showed it to that advertiser and said, hey, we made a video for you. Click here for you know 25 bucks. And oh, by the way, we'll give you a free $25 credit for your first 25 bucks to run it as an ad. Cool. You took a thing that was like hours of preparation and made it super simple and created the right incentives. And then they, they start, they're like, oh, actually, when I ran that video ad, it got me more visits to my website or more clicks or whatever objective they're interested in. Then when they were running their previous ads format. So if you can make stuff super simple so people get to that magic moment really fast, that's, I think, the that's a special sauce for basically any product-led growth company. It's a little different if you're trying to sell to, like, a CTO and, you know, you're, you're filling out, like, the security RFPs and, you know, the questionnaires. And that, that, no, that's I've been in those sales calls. I've been in those sales calls for BI tools and analytics yeah. tools. And we were, we're it's actually quite often, and it's, yeah. it's grueling. Um, yeah. you know, and yeah, it's a lot. We can actually, a uh, team out here says, I uh, shout out shameless plug. I love to using data when I have an idea for analysis and I can tinker with it during a coffee break. I mean, that's pretty cool. Thanks, so, Timo. Yeah, that's cool, dude. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm curious to see where you know where it all goes. I, I definitely think you're on to something, which is why you're on the show. Obviously, well, we talk to people who are on to things. Uh, <laughs> having a show with people who are not on to things that'd be kind of hilarious too, I guess. But could well, be a comedy show. It or could be a comedy show. Yeah, it's like there's there's the uh, what is it? There's like that award they give. I think it's for like bad ideas every year. The in it's like the um, ignoble prizes or something. Ignoble like prizes. Yeah, <laughs> just be like. <laughs> why do you think robots with lasers focusing on the cat owner market is like the next big thing <laughs> we need a startup version of this don't we yeah i can think of 
Oh, I can think of a lot of companies that invite on. Um, <laughs> but as Warren Buffett says, uh, criticize a general. Don't don't mention the specific. So, um, but yeah, that's cool. Um, well, awesome, man. It's good to have you on the show. Uh, for people who want to learn about more about uh, Zing, first off, how would they do that? Yeah, uh, just go to Zing, Z-I-N-G, data, D-A-T-A, dot com, zingdata.com. You can download it for free. There's, It's free for 10 people at your company. And then if you nice. get big, eventually, you know, you'll pay us. But That's a pretty sweet don't worry deal. about that. Use it for free. Use it for free. The first, the first hit is free. It always is. But the ten years though, that's that's bigger than a lot of yeah, small yeah. company data teams. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm looking out over the New York skyline right now, and I just look at the number of small businesses there are. I mean, that's right, most right. of them bodegas and uh, I don't know yoga shops. And that's that's, that's like if we if we build, and I think a lot of companies like DBT has been good at this. Um, I yep. think DeepNote has been good at this. Like, if you can build a community of folks and like make it easy and accessible, and people can help each other, like that's awesome. And so my view is. I guess, yes, I'm trying to build a company, but also like, I think it should be way easier for most folks to like start using data. Like it's transformative for someone's career or business if they get good at it. And uh, we'd love to be a part of that. Well, it's something I would say that you're, you're starting to see small businesses thinking about this more and more. For the longest time, it was just, you know, why do I need that? Um, you know, uh, you know, the person over there, you know, knows all that stuff. And the person over there is no longer working there because, you know, things happen. And then, you're, you know, um, but yeah, I'm going to think of But if you have Stripe yeah. data or Square data or inventory and literally inventory in an Excel sheet, maybe, maybe you just want an easy way to use that. And so, yeah. like, I think Google Sheets has done this well, Google Slides. We, that's the ilk that we're in. Slack did this well. And so we want more people being able to ask great questions from anywhere. And, uh, I appreciate all the great questions you guys have asked during this. Of course. Yeah. I might try it out actually. So do you know that I track every workout that I've ever done dating back for geez, nine years now on, on a Google sheet? Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hook it up. It's also structured. Uh, my, yeah, I need to like probably reformat it, but yeah, it's interesting. Like nothing goes. My nothing data goes set is very sparse on exercises <laughs> over the last nine years, unfortunately, but hopefully. <laughs> Start Sample quiet. size of one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. This was, um, this was a ton of fun. And also, yeah. shameless plug for your guys' book. Um, when I was preparing for this interview, um, I was like, oh, let me go Let me go read a little bit more about uh, data engineering from Joe and Matt. And uh, it was a great, um, I think, uh, addition to anybody who's thinking about, like, BI layers and all this stuff is like, well, what are good ways for me to get the stuff in a usable way without all the pain of like learning these lessons from scratch and searching right. on Reddit and trying 50 open source tools that don't work well with each other. Mm, thank you. Yeah, that was the goal of the book. I think just help uh, kind of bridge the gap and, and talk more kind of at a, um, a more fundamental level yeah. about data engineering. It's, the title is Fundamentals of Data Engineering, I guess. So that would make sense. Um, speaking of which, tomorrow, if you're in New York City, um, we are speaking at Data Driven NYC, uh, Matt Turk's um, little meetup. I guess it's pretty big. Is it officially sold out or what? It's sold out, now? but are you know they, they might have a few in? more seats. Maybe yeah. anyway, uh, or just like show up at the door, and you know we'll uh, if you're if you're nice enough, we'll see if Matt will let you in. So um, anyway, that'll be a good one. Uh, next Monday, uh, Monday morning data chat. Actually, it will be in the afternoon because um, Matt and I will be in Europe. 
I'll be in London. I guess UK is not really part of Europe anymore, though. No, 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 no they, they are. They so. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'll be in the UK. Matt might be showing up. But we're doing yeah, a yeah. Uh, funny morning data chat with uh, Samir Sharma. Um, and then immediately following that, we're doing a, a massive um, meetup uh, in London, data meetup. Uh, it's going to be fun. Um, I'll be uh, signing books. I'll actually be DJing the uh, entire night as well. So um, show up for Ooh. that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. covering all the bases, covering all the bases. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'll be cooking in so the back. Man, um, man. Yes. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be uh, the bouncer. It'll be a great time. So yeah. Um, so, anyway, that, that's what we have in store. Um, anyway. Yeah. So uh, Zach, again, great to have you on the show. Really like your perspectives on, um, you know, data really like what you're doing uh, at Zing. So keep up the great work. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'll be back on. So cool. Thanks to the audience for great questions and we'll see you soon. Have a great Monday. Take care. Bye.